May God enlighten the eyes of our hearts to know the hope to which Christ has called us. Amen. Please be seated. What does it mean to be a disciple? Disciple is a word we're pretty happy keeping between the covers of Holy Scripture. It's safe there. But it's not one that we'd probably be all that comfortable labeling ourselves with, is it? It isn't one of the options for religious affiliation on the voter card for a reason. And that's because we prefer safer, more circumscribable categories. Maybe we call ourselves Christians. And if we tell that to others, we can be confident that they'll have at least some idea of what it is we're describing. We might even dare to call ourselves Anglican. And though people will probably be a bit less acquainted with what that means, it'll probably still evoke some image in them of old stone churches, magnificent choirs, uncomfortable wooden pews. Being Christian, or being Anglican, these are helpful frameworks for it. They give us structure and shape for what it looks like to be people of faith in the world today. But they can also allow us to become snug and cozy in our religious commitments without ever opening ourselves to the bold, daring, inviting call of Jesus to follow him on the road of discipleship. For a lot of us, I think, Christ called us to be disciples and we settled instead for being Christians. But the truth is, the call that the resurrected Christ extends to this unglamorous band of 11 screw-ups in our gospel this morning is the same call that he issues to us, to you and to me. Our deepest call is always, first and foremost, to follow Jesus. But what does that mean? What is a disciple? What's the shape of that calling? It seems to me that if we're called to be disciples, and to go and make disciples of others, at very least, we ought to have some idea of what that actually means, of what it is we're signing up for. Well, one answer to that question is that being a disciple of Jesus means living in such a way that one's life witnesses to the life and the teachings of Christ. It'll probably involve being a good person, being loving and kind, practicing Christian virtues, serving the poor, sharing the good news of Christ with others, which is to say that discipleship is actionable, isn't it? It's never just a claim on our faith or an assent to certain beliefs. It's always a lived way of being in the world. But that doesn't quite sum it up for us, does it? I mean, let's roll call the 11 disciples standing here on the receiving end of Jesus' great commission. We have impulsive Peter, the rock of the church, who, if we're honest, probably shares more of the inflexibility and dullness of a rock than any positive quality to it. We have Thomas, the incorrigible doubter. We have the sons of thunder, James and John, who advocated scorched earth tactics for any place that denied Jesus. And we have Simon, the zealot, which, if you don't catch the reference there, means he's a real-life political terrorist. Not exactly the best role models for the Christian life. I mean, no wonder the history of the church has been such a complicated mess. Look at the people who got the movement going. And if you're under the impression that they outgrew these parts of themselves, remember that all of them here are just a few weeks fresh of denying and abandoning Jesus at his most vulnerable moment. They continue to wrestle 
and struggle with the worst parts of themselves right to the end, even as they worked out their own faith and following of Jesus. Jesus didn't wait for the disciples to perfect their own discipleship before calling them out. It is as they are, wounded, imperfect, deeply maladjusted people, that Jesus calls them to be his witnesses to the world. And I don't know about you, but that's good news for me. Many days I don't feel like I live up to even the lowest criteria of what constitutes a good follower of Christ. But somehow it seems that for Jesus, the invitation to the disciples to participate in the reconciling work of God isn't predicated on the quality of their own character. So then the type of person that we are can get us some way to an answer of what it means to be a disciple, but it can't get us the whole way. Another popular shot at an answer as to what makes one a follower of Jesus is that it has something to do with what one believes, with ticking all the right doctrinal boxes, being able to recite the ancient creeds that we confess every Sunday, and to do it without crossing your fingers. Ask the average Joe on the street what it means to be a Christian, and he'll say something in the register of personal belief. It means believing in God, believing in Jesus, believing the Bible is true, whatever on earth that means. And of course, we know that the actual parts of our faith, the active verbs that make us a disciple, like going to church, those have fallen out of vogue. I have conversations on a weekly basis with people who say they're a Christian, but would never be part of an actual faith community. What you believe, not what you do with what you believe, will suffice, it seems. Maybe belief is at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, our text read this morning, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That passage gives me endless comfort. The eleven disciples gather before the resurrected Christ, close enough to see the lines on his face, and even here, some doubt. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what's going on beneath the surface when we gather as a church? We come together to worship Christ, and even here, we doubt. Maybe if we're honest, all of us find our faith mingled in with our doubts most of the time. But still we come, still we gather, still we worship. You see, steadfastness in one's belief is a virtue. To keep grip on one's trust in God when there are so many reasons to let go of it is a wonderful thing. But certainty is not a precondition of faith, much less of discipleship. The expectation has never been that discipleship means eventually outgrowing one's doubts. In truth, one's doubts always come along for the journey. So the content and the quality of our belief can get us some way to an answer of what it means to be a disciple, but it can't get us the whole way. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it ask of us? Since its beginning, the church has always found some answer to that question in the practice of baptism. In a few moments, we'll celebrate the baptisms of Thomas, Gabriel and Matthew, through receiving the water, the oil and the light, the material stuff of the world into which Christ died and was raised, they will enter into the life of grace. And every baptism is not only about those receiving the water, but about us too, about the whole community. It gives us an opportunity to reaffirm our own baptismal commitments, to readjust ourselves to the promises we once made to God. 
As Anglicans, we articulate those promises in a manifesto of the Christian faith that we call the baptismal covenant. In a few moments, we'll say it again. Maybe for the first time. Maybe for the 101st time. We'll say that we will persevere in resisting evil. That we will proclaim the good news of God in Christ. That we will seek and serve Christ in every person we meet. That we'll strive for justice and peace. That we will respect, sustain, and renew the life of God's creation. These are impossible promises. Demands that none of us could ever possibly keep. And we'll also confess the ancient creeds of our faith. And we'll say that against all odds, we will continue to try through doubt and struggle and questioning to find faith in them again. These creeds and these commitments are the ways that the community of faith gives shape to what it means to follow Jesus. The kind of claims that it asks us to make. The kind of life it invites us to live. It's a life rooted in service, justice, proclamation, community. It's a life that cannot be lived alone. The demands are too high. But it is the only kind of life that is intelligible in a world in which Christ has been raised from the dead. We gather to make all these commitments afresh because this is what it means to follow the way of the resurrected Christ. To be a disciple of Jesus is to make impossible promises to God that you know you can never possibly keep and to keep making those promises again and again and again throughout your life. And the essential qualifier without which none of us could make those kind of vows is that we do it, as the baptismal covenant reminds us, with God's help. We are a baptism community. A people who understand the call of discipleship to go and witness to the love of God held out to the world in Christ. But we do it never of ourselves, but only through the help of the God who calls us to the journey. That is why our doubt and our failure don't disqualify us, no matter how many times we fail to keep those impossible promises. Take a look around this room. Some made those promises for the first time 50 60, 70 years ago, when they received the water of baptism. Others received that water today, and others have yet to receive it at all. This is what the community of faith looks like. Those who have walked the journey for a long time, and those who step into it afresh, continuing to hobble along together on the precarious path of discipleship. 2,000 years ago, a group of doubting, half-hearted, conflicted, and confused young people were called by Christ to go out and make disciples, and the church has been that way ever since, limping along through faith and doubt, through moments of pure witness, and times of unconscionable error, still making impossible promises to God. The way of Jesus continues on for one reason that has very little to do with us, because for all our broken promises to God, Christ's promise to us remains that he will be with us always to the very end of the age. May Christ journey with you afresh today. Thanks be to God.